Hi, thanks for tuning in to Mind Matters. I'm your host, Mia, a sophomore at Valencia High School. In today's episode for our very first segment, we will be discussing the basics of mental health and giving some tips about it with the wonderful Amanda Hills. Let's get into the episode. Today, I'll be interviewing Amanda, who is a licensed clinical social worker here in Santa Clarita. Hi, Amanda. Hi, thank you for having me. Thank you for joining us with my first episode. I'm pretty nervous, but also excited for this. So first off, before we dive deeper, let's get to know you. Can you tell us a little background about yourself, like where you went to school and why you decided to be in this field? Sure. I actually grew up here in Santa Clarita Valley, Mm -hmm. um, went to elementary school and graduated from Hart and continued on to my education. I went on to COC and then transferred to CSUN and obtained a bachelor's degree in um, liberal studies with an emphasis in elementary education because I was originally going to be a teacher. Oh, wow. Um, however, while I was doing student teaching, I found myself really connected to kids with special needs uh-huh. and wanting to work more individually with children rather than in a group. Um, so I decided to go into social work where I could do that and applied to USC and was accepted and did my two year graduate program there. Um, following that, I worked at a residential treatment center where I was for four years and obtained my license and worked at Sequoia Charter School up here and uh, did some supervision. And now I'm the clinical director at Samuel Dixon Family Health Center and have my private practice here in uh, Newhall. Wow. That's kind of like a big roller coaster of events. Absolutely. <laughs> so your private practice here is it just kids or kids and adults? That's a great question. I specialize in children and teenagers. My favorite ages, honestly, are 16 to 25. That's what I aim for. But I do work with adults as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I find that having a mix in my practice is really rewarding. And I like to be as as helpful as I can to everyone. Wow, that's interesting. That's a little bit about Amanda. So what do you think is the most difficult thing about your job? Oh, that's another great question. Um, Probably the most difficult thing is saying no to people. Mm. I have a really tough time when I have a worried parent or a teen on the phone with me and they need help and I don't have enough hours in my day. Mm. I have a tough time saying no to people. And that's obviously something that I need to work on because I teach people to set boundaries for themselves. But I would say first and foremost, that's that's my biggest challenge right now. And what do you think is the most rewarding thing about your job? Oh, definitely um, seeing people feel better, watching people grow and gain insight into their own lives. And I, I really enjoy planting seeds in people that maybe don't feel that this is this is really going to work or that they don't really understand it. And then I hear back from them in a few years and they're in graduate school doing amazing and thanking me for the help um, that I provided for them. Wow. I'm sure that's a great feeling. It is. Okay. So switching gears a little bit to mental health in general, what is your definition of mental health and how do you think it's changed in recent years? 
Mental health is really, I, I tell little kids this sometimes, I'm sort of a doctor for feelings. I don't provide <laughs> shots and I'm not really a doctor, but we do talk a lot <laughs> about feelings and taking care of them and learning self-care and how to manage emotions and how to process trauma. I mean, there are things that happen to us in everyday life that are devastating. And a lot of times people have difficulty um, recovering from these things and they need somebody to talk to. And when doing so, they're really taking care of their mental health. They're, um, you know, they're working to feel better. They're developing coping skills. They're trying to find a support system potentially that's going to be there for them when, you know, when they come into something that's difficult. So mental health is actually sort of a, it has a broad definition, um, but it's definitely taking care of your insides more than your outsides. And I'm, you know, I'm honestly pleased to say that I think mental health has become more accessible um, to everyone. I think previously there was such a, a bigger, even a bigger stigma around seeking mental health services and that it was only for people with severe mental illness. And that's just not the case. Um, I, I, it has made improvements. We have a long way to go, but it is more accessible to children and teenagers and adults. And the stigma is becoming decreasingly less, I, I believe. Um, I know we hear different things in the media, but from what I see, people are more open to it. People are more open to realizing, hey, you know, my mind and body, there's a connection there. And maybe my stomach hurts because I'm nervous about something. So I think with this more awareness comes more potential for people to seek services and to feel better. Yeah, that's really great to hear because I feel like in more recent years, it's been more about the small things, which can be just as important as the big traumatic events that someone would seek mental health services for. Absolutely. And it's, you know, it's, I, I like to tell people it's relative. So, you know, some people might come in, you know, my problems aren't that big. Well, you know, they are to you. And that's what's important. And that's yeah, what definitely. needs to be discussed. So what do you think is the biggest problem with society these days that is provoking increased mental health issues? Well, I think we are in such an age of impulsivity with our phones and needing answers immediately and that causing a great deal of anxiety in everyone. Um, you know, it, we can't even take the time to place a phone call. It has to be even more immediate than that. And, and a text message has to be read. And, you know, there's all this um, idea into when it was read and yeah. when you left on read or <laughs> were you answered in a timely manner. I mean, I think that just causes so much undue stress as well as social media and our teens comparing themselves to other people and getting involved in cyberbullying and speaking with predators online, which we didn't, you know, predators didn't have access to our kids like they did before. So I think there's this also this heightened scent with families to keep their kids safe. And that honestly can cause a lot of anxiety in children, not feeling that the world around them is safe. Um, so it's a, it's a fine balance. And I think that's what's that's what's happening. Yeah, it's actually interesting that you said impulsivity, because I think when people think about mental health issues, they probably think about anxiety and the stuff like social media that you were talking about. But that's a more subtle issue that I wouldn't even have thought of. So that's interesting. OK, so this is kind of similar to what I was saying in the previous question. What is the most common thing you see in teenage patients? 
the most common thing I see in teenage patients would be high levels of anxiety. Like we just um, had discussed, I think that the media, the need for information almost instantly causes people some real stress. I also think the climate in our society today is very divisive. And I think teens and children and adults, you know, pick up on messages from the media or from their families. And, you know, all it's like we can't have discussions with each other anymore. It automatically becomes an argument. And that can provide a huge amount of stress and tension, even within families. Yeah, for sure. So switching gears, let's talk about anxiety. According to the Anxiety and Depression Association of America, 3.1% of the population has anxiety, but only 40% get treatment. What are small things that can ease anxiety in the moment? So like small tricks and tips that can ease the panic. I love talking about that. I do that all day. So I have um, plenty of, of tips. I think the first thing, first and foremost, beyond everything else is to practice mindfulness. And mindfulness is the art of being present. And I think it's so important um, for us to not be caught up in what's happening in our future and what's happening tomorrow or the next week or the next month, or I have to get in college in two years, so this test is going to break me. Um, what's more important is really to stay present with your five senses, and that's hearing, sight, taste, touch and scent and really to ground yourself in a moment that feels very stressful for you to do some self-talk and let yourself know that things are going to be okay that this will pass ask yourself if this is going to matter in six months from now um, these are all really useful coping skills that can relieve anxiety you know almost instantly as well as uh, mindful breathing focusing on your breath i do a practice called 711 breaths where you breathe in for seven seconds always through your nose and out through your mouth for 11 seconds that in itself can lower your heart rate and have you kind of feel a sense of relaxation i mean of course there are people that cannot do this on their own and might require um you know, an intervention with a medical doctor to prescribe some medication. And that's something that, of course, you can talk to with your doctor about. But there's definitely options for managing overwhelming feelings of anxiety, both in therapy or counseling and with a medical doctor. Yeah, those are things I never even thought of and could definitely help with things like test anxiety, which I didn't really think sounded like a real thing until I got to high school and it is 100% a real thing. So... I think those could definitely help. And moving to a little broader, what are bigger changes in your day-to-day -day life that could be beneficial for anxiety? Okay, so as I discussed sort of like little things that you could do during the day, um, I think bigger things are prioritizing and really trying your best to keep things in perspective about what's truly important. Um, I think spending time with family and friends and taking care of your mental health um, first and foremost, will certainly have you functioning higher in your day-to-day -day life and your job at school. Um, it's so important to take time for yourself, put that into everyday life, um, maybe even make some time to put your phone down and just enjoy, you know, a weekend with your family. I know it sounds frightening, but yes, an entire mm -hmm. weekend without a phone. I know we can do it. I think that can really help. I think exercise, adding that into your routine and eating healthy can absolutely help with any sort of um, 
mental health issue, depression, anxiety, uh, anything, honestly, you can think of exercise as the best remedy. So get yourself out there, get moving, eat healthy, communicate, reach out to people. There are people out there to help you. Um, Those are sort of the bigger and better ways to take care of yourself in the long run. That's a perfect segue into my next topic that I was going to ask you about. How does one effectively prioritize parts of their life, such as school, extracurriculars, family, friends, and most importantly, ourselves and our own well-being? I know you were just talking about that, but I feel like time management is so important and everyone talks about it. In high school, you have to manage your time and with homework and this and that. And I feel like sometimes it's kind of, it's overwhelming and daunting just to hear about it so much, but you never really know actually how to do it. Right. And I imagine in school, I mean, something I did also want to say about sort of this heightened anxiety that teens are feeling, school 20 years ago was very, very different. Mm -hmm. And there were maybe six kids that had above a 4.0 GPA. (laughs) It was not nearly as competitive as it has become today. And I think the pressure to go to college and and potentially educators or parents, you know, letting kids know that this is sort of your make or break it, whether you go to a good school or not, can really be deceptive. I mean, people can find success in any path that they that they choose. And I think prioritizing, um, back to the question, prioritizing yourself above everything else has to be has to be the number one priority because without taking care of yourself, you're not going to be able to take care of anybody else, including yourself academically or socially. Um, You have to make that time out of your day to take a warm shower, take a walk, spend time with your dog, just to decompress from what it is that you have been doing during the busy day. Um, And the the main thing I want to focus on is self-compassion. And self-compassion means it's sort of greater than self-esteem. It's to me, it's more important than self-esteem. It's having compassion for yourself no matter what. So if you don't study for a test and you get a bad grade or you can't show up to work that day because you have an issue going on at home, that's okay. It's okay to be human. It's okay to be imperfect. It's okay to get a C. I know that's that's sort of (laughs) scandalous, but yes, all of that is okay. And having compassion for yourself and saying, you know what, tomorrow's going to be a better day. Um, I think just having a positive mindset like that, that, you know, you can get through it. That's going to help you prioritize. And I a hundred percent agree with that. I feel like what you're saying about the GPA and everything, I think we're kind of expected or we put this pressure upon us to be perfect and always getting good grades. And we have to kind of take a step back and look at the bigger picture, like you were saying, self-compassion, and is this really going to matter in a year from now or six months from now? Exactly. Exactly. And you're a whole person. You're not just a student. Yeah. I think that teenagers lose sight of that, right? Everything is so academically focused, but you have so much to offer the world beside your academic abilities. I'm definitely still working on that, and I'm not saying I'm perfect at that either because I'm absolutely not because I definitely do the same thing, but it's just kind of becoming more mindful about what you should be prioritizing. Absolutely. And I love that you were, you used that word mindful. Yeah. So important. <laughs> so we kind of talked about this a little bit with test anxiety, but I was going to ask you if you have any tips for school stress in general. 
I do. I mean, I think it goes back to sort of the other things that I was saying about having self-compassion and having time to be a whole person and spend time on sports or art or music or whatever interests and hobbies that you have. Um, I think, honestly, if you take care of your whole body and, you know, not separate these things into your mind versus your body, you're going to feel a lot better. You're going to have more energy to complete assignments um, and sleep. We haven't talked about sleep and sleep is a key ingredient for success. And I know a lot of students are up until all hours of the night. I don't know how they do it because I wouldn't be able to mm -hmm. function definitely the next day. But I think sleep has to be a big priority when you take care of yourself and can't be forgotten. It's, I mean, it's, <laughs> it's our biology, our physiology. We need that to recoup and, you know, to process the information we've learned the day before. So as much sleep, you know, eight to 10 hours, again, scandalous, I know you can get in there, the better you're going to feel and the better you're going to function at school. And I know that is a huge thing because all of my friends and me sometimes as well are sleeping at one or two and they know who they are, but <laughs> yes, they do. <laughs> That's a perfect transition because I was going to talk about how I came across this study. It shows that a method called inquiry-based stress reduction can actually relieve stress about a certain topic. So basically, people are known to procrastinate. That's the excuse for staying up so late. And I'm such a big procrastinator and I didn't do anything till 3 a.m. So it's really interesting. And I kind of reflected on myself when I was reading this. It basically says that people usually procrastinate on things that they're anxious about completing. So what do you think about this? I mean, I, that makes perfect sense. I agree with that, that um, the, a lot of the reason for procrastination is anxiety and putting it off. You know, yeah. you don't want to deal with that anxiety about writing your paper, studying for a test. So it gets put off and put off and put off until you can't literally put it off anymore. However, what you're doing is you're just creating more anxiety for yourself, because mm -hmm. I can imagine that most of you listening to this, there has been a point in your life where you decided, you know what, I'm just going to get this done and I'm not going to put it off. And once you do it, it feels amazing. It feels so good. <laughs> right? It's amazing because you don't have that anxiety following you around all the time. Mm -hmm. And your work's done. It's probably done much better than waiting till the last minute. And then you can relax and feel good about it. It almost feels unnatural. And you're like, wow, this feels good. <laughs> I bet. Okay, so I think we're going to end it here. Thank you so much for talking with me, Amanda. It was such a pleasure to have you as our first guest on the show. So to summarize, in this episode, we talked about the fundamentals of mental health and some tricks to help you through hard times. I really hope you enjoyed this first episode of Mind Matters. Please stay tuned for the next episode. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me.